we're in a series um, where we're talking about grace, and we've been saying that life is exhausting because life is full of ifs. And there are very high demands that we place on others, and high demands are placed on us as well. And it starts from an early age, right? We tell the kids that if they clean up the room, then they can play with the iPad a little bit longer. Um, we put on deodorant and comb our hair, and we try to be lovable and funny so that we might be able to win the heart of that person, right? And it's all these expectations that we're just used to. If you perform well enough, then you might be considered for, for a promotion, if you've got the right retirement account, maybe that will appeal to your future spouse. I was watching news this week, and I tried to intentionally um, make some notes in my mind, and we were watching, maybe it was last Sunday, the uh, Miss America uh, beauty pageant, I guess it is. And the announcer says, if you're... Uh, smart enough with your words, if you're wise enough with your words, one of the conductors, then you might advance to the next round. And then we saw an interview after that on a different channel, and there's this celebrity who was being congratulated because it's her birthday, and she said that the person who was asking her questions and interviewing her said hey, who, who's called you to wish you a happy birthday? And she, she said a list of other famous people. <coughs> and the interview says, what about family? She said, well, no, because I didn't call my uh, sister for her birthday, so she didn't call me for my birthday. And I was thinking, how sad is that, that we live in a world of such, where there is such a lack of grace that it's almost normal. It's just kind of how it is. You don't measure up. You don't qualify for certain things and we're always trying to keep up and then it becomes exhausting when we can't meet the demands right i think it's all right when we're able to meet the demands when the boss is impressed it feels pretty good when we're exercising right and we meet that routine that we said that then it feels good but when we fall short then it gets tough right and then sometimes there there seems to be um bitterness and anger and outrage that starts to boil up there and the roots grow and then there's some depression and anxiety and it's all because we didn't meet the standard whatever the standard is and then we put those standards on other people and everybody tends to not meet the standard right it depends what yardstick you're using so here's what we're saying there's a need of grace for us to receive it and know that Grace comes from God because he chooses to. There is, there is no earning of it. And that's why we're saying that the sound of grace is very sweet. It rings loud in our hearts and in our minds. It can change who we are in our perception before God. And it can certainly change the people in our lives when we offer grace. You didn't meet that standard or requirement that I thought you should have, but you know what? There's grace. Think about what that would do just personally, where you live, where you work, and where you play. 
I'm going to read what grace looks like in a tangible way, like horizontally. Does that make sense? Like this is horizontal and this is vertical. Like God's grace to you, and we all enjoy common grace, which is being able to look outside and see the blue sky and the clouds. And if you walked here or you stand outside, you'll hear some birds chirping. That's common grace. At night, you stand and you see the stars. We all get to enjoy Those are common graces. So that's like this vertical grace, right? But what about horizontal grace? Here, let, let, me, let me share with you what the author of this book says so we get a little bit encouraged. She says, One motivation to offer a book about grace is that grace in any form seems to be in such short supply in today's world. Read a newspaper or turn on the television and you'll see little evidence that compassion, courtesy, and kindness even exist. Look what happens in parking lots when two cars experience a near miss. Look what happens in restaurants when the wrong food is brought to the table. Indeed, most of us are so busy or stressed that there seems to be little time for grace. That is to reflect on or receive God's grace, to give grace or to receive the grace of others or to live and act with grace in everyday life. It's a loss because grace is one of the best things about life. And then she gives an example of how she sees grace. So here's an example of horizontal grace. She says, for instance, I see grace every day at a local hospital where I volunteer. There's a surgeon who comes out of the operating room to talk to a waiting family and introduces himself by his first name, not Dr. So-and-so, putting the family immediately at ease. There's an emergency room nurse who, although extremely busy, takes the time to hug a frightened and lonely patient. There's a volunteer who drives to the local store to purchase a pretty nightgown with her own money for a patient who arrived at the hospital with none of her own clothing. There's a nurse who, although not permitted to wash a patient's hair as a staff member, goes home changes her clothes, becomes a regular person, and administers a most welcome shampoo. There are the hospital staff members who sing Amazing Grace at the bedside of a terminally ill patient while the family says goodbye and life support is disconnected. Grace feels good, right? It sounds good, right? How sweet the sound of grace The title for today's message, in case you're taking notes, is Light Shines Through Cracked Pots. So if you're taking notes on a, on a card that maybe was around you or on your smart device, this could be the title. And perhaps having the title down will remind you to be able to go back to it during the week and chew on this. So Light Shines Through Cracked Pots. We're going to look at the life of a guy by the name of Abraham. We're going to look at his resume. And his resume tells us different things about him. And I have some (coughs) references on there so that you can go home during the week, so you can get out your Bible or your Bible app on your phone, and so you can chew on those. That's why I provide references for you guys. Sure, I could sit here and spoon feed you and read them to you, but I want to encourage us and empower all of us to say, oh, wow, what is Genesis 12? So take, take a few minutes. It's, it's really healthy and a good 
strategy to feed ourselves during the week. So Abraham's resume says that he's a liar. He's put in a situation where somebody asks, who is she? And it was his wife. And he says, well, it's my sister. Some things were going on there, but he chooses to lie. He's a doubter. God says, hey, I'm going to give you a bunch of children. And he's like old. And he's like, no, I doubt you can do that. There's no way you can do that. So he doubts. He's a manipulator. So God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to provide. I'm giving you a promise. And then Genesis tells us that Abraham takes things into his own hand. We often tend to do that. God says this, black and white, I understand it, but I'm going to choose to do something on my agenda because I don't trust. So he manipulates, he goes, and he sleeps. He has an affair with his um, wife's maidservant. He's an idolater. Basically, he's worshiping other things and other gods. He has the affair. And this is his resume. This is who Abraham is. And this is a great picture of your life and my life. Poyo, but I've never like done this one here. Doesn't matter. We've broken one. We've broken them all. We're just broken. It's a reality. But there's good news for all of us. And there's grace. So Abraham becomes a perfect candidate to be used by God for some pretty amazing things. Like, don't let me go forward without you catching that. He's a perfect candidate. Not because his resume is spotless, impeccable, like at the top of all the resumes. And God says, I want to use you anyway. So what God does is that he tells Abraham that he's going to bless him. And we see this in Genesis chapter 12. This is God speaking to Abraham. He says, I want you to go to the land that I will show you. And I'm going to make you a great nation and bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I'll curse. All the families of earth will be blessed through you. This is hard for us to grasp. This is such a monumental promise that it's extremely difficult for us to understand but I'm going to try and put it in terms that maybe we would. It's as if your boss or your boss's boss showed up tomorrow and said, today you are the CEO. You are the CFO. You are the CTO. You are everything. You are overall. All responsibility is yours and you'll have power and there'll be fame attached to it and you'll have everything and more than you ever, ever, ever imagined. Utopia, if you will. This amazing promise that you don't really understand how it would happen, but this is kind of what's happening here. Don't forget who the candidate is, by the way. And then, Abraham's response is, God, how am I to know that it will all be mine? Right? I mean, What would happen if tomorrow you show up in that situation, whatever it is, and it's laid out on the table? How do I know you're not messing with me? How do I know it's not a cruel joke? We've got a couple of kids, and our kids do this thing called a pinky promise. Have you ever done a pinky promise? 
where our daughter is like, Dad, <coughs> Pinky Promise that you'll like uh, hook me up with uh, that movie that we want to go see. And I'm like, Pinky Promise. So that kind of like ties it in for them. It like means this is signed in blood and all we need is the, 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 the notary seal. But what God does here is a lot greater than a pinky promise. He spoke and he is God. He is not human, so he can't lie and he doesn't fail. There's perfection in his ways and his words. So Abraham says, how do I know that what you're saying is going to come true? Where's my assurance? And God says, bring me a cow, a goat, a ram, each three years old, a dove and a young pigeon. He brought all these animals to him, split them down the middle and lay the halves opposite each other. As the sun went down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. Okay, follow me for just a second because this will seem really um, weird unless we understand the context, okay? So back in the days when this was written, you would sign a covenant, a contract if you will, by performing something like this. So you got these animals, you would cut them down the middle, split their bodies in half, and then the two parties involved in the contract would would walk among the halves. Yes? This is their way of signing, if you will, a contract. And the idea behind it was, if you don't keep your end of the bargain, you will be like one of these cut-up animals. It's kind of weird. It's hard for us to understand, but try to catch the weight of it. So if like Bob needed to sell his camel to Jim, they would take some smaller animals, cut them down the middle, and Bob and Jim would pass by those and say, I'm going to sell you this for this, and when you pay me like this, I'm going to give you my camel. Both parties signed the contract. Both parties passed in the middle of these two things. There was something to give from each. This is my promise. This is my word. This is your promise. This is your word. I will keep my end of the deal. So we read here at the end of verse 12 that as the sun went down, the animals have now been brought and they are cut in half. It says that Abraham falls under a deep sleep. A deep sleep similar to when God is creating Adam and he puts him to sleep while Eve is being created. Same kind of sleep. God is a catalyst of the sleep. So follow me here. Abraham asked God what? How will I know that this promise will come true? How will I know that you will keep your end of the bargain, that you will make me famous, that I will be a blessing, that you will protect me, and that I will be the father of blessing others? And God says... Let's make a contract. When it's time to sign the contract, what happens to Abraham? He's asleep. Grace is not transactional. God says, it's my word. And you don't even need to do signing on your end. Because grace is not cheap it's free 
There is nothing we bring to the table when it comes to God. And that is such a difficult concept to grasp in a world that feeds at us ifs. In a world that pulls out the yardstick and says, if you measure up to this, then. Do you see the beauty of this? God says, I have made the promise. You brought nothing to the table, Abraham. As a matter of fact, you're asleep. But I'm keeping my end of the deal. We've got to learn to kill the intuition to perform for God. We want to be loved and accepted by people. That is a reality. If you look at me and say, Poyo, that's not me, there's something wrong. It's in our DNA craving and acceptance. So in order for us to gain, what do we naturally do? The intuition is to perform, right? You want the guy, you want the girl, you put on the deodorant, the perfume, you shave, and you go and you try to impress, right? I mean, that's just a reality. There's nothing wrong with it, but we're so used to it that when it comes to our relationship with God, we think that the same thing must happen. Let me try and get his attention. He says, I already made a promise. I already brought everything to the table. I brought the paper. I bought the pen. I printed it off of my laptop. You were asleep when I showed up so you could sign. That's grace. And it's scary because it takes control out of our hand. And oh, we are control freaks, right? We love to be able to control. And he says, when it comes to your vertical relationship with me, I hold the cards in my hand, he says. And it's so hard for us to trust his love. What if he plays me wrong? He won't. He's not like us who are broken and selfish and angry and anxious. He says, I'm a, lo- I'm a God who loves perfectly. An everlasting love, Jeremiah 31.3. A love that I have put in you and that draws you to me. Everlasting love. Not contingent love, everlasting. Grace is God's love and pursuit. 100% of the time. Not on your A-game days. He's in pursuit on your B and C and D and all the way down the line to Z. He is in pursuit. He is a hound of heaven who is on our heels saying, you're mine and you're special and I love you. And you have value because I created you. You have intrinsic value. I made you. And let me prove it to you in case you don't believe. (coughs) Go look at the cross. I laid my life down. John chapter 15, verse 13. There is no greater love than one who would lay down his life for another. He says, my arms are open. His arms are always open, in fact. Ready to receive. And we're the ones who do the pushback. 
His grace is completely free. The work is His. It allows us in a world that is exhausting to be able to breathe in deeply, put our head on the pillow and say, He has done already and I've got His promise. So this is what we must let happen is that we allow His word to be an anvil that comes and smashes your opinion and my opinion. When you look at yourself in the mirror and you see brokenness and flaws and failure the same way that we would see in a clay pot, we say there's a hidden treasure in me. And guess what? The light is only able to be exposed through the cracks in the pot. Do you get that? And that's what we are. A clay pot, broken, there is a beautiful treasure in us. So here's the good news. There is no failure. There is no flaw that will ever ever prevent you and I to be held by His grace. It is free. It is liberating for some it's scary because we must let go but it's beautiful this is grace Jesus we pray that your words would be sweet to the sound of our ears let us be number one recipients of your grace let us, let us know that we are highly valued by you. And then let us be a conduit of your grace. Use our lives for your glory. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.